0: Canucks, Calgary Flames coming up. It is game number 79 of the season, four to go. The Canucks, well, the playoff dreams, they seem to be fading, but the players and the coaches They certainly haven't given up quite yet, and this is the Connect Central pregame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd. You can interact with us on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650, and we have Batch and Hershey calling the game, and uh, we'll catch up with with them coming up in a bit. We'll hear from head coach Bruce Boudreau behind the bench with Boudreau and Batch coming up a bit later, and we'll get to the player spotlight as well, but... First things first, Jamie, the Canucks, they have a game which doesn't have the import we had hoped it would have, considering what has happened the last two games where they've dropped three out of a possible four points against Ottawa and the Minnesota Wild. But everything you hear from the players and everything you hear Mm -hmm. from the coaches, as you would expect, has been, we're not giving up yet.
1: And yeah, that was Boudreaux talking immediately after the game in Minnesota, right? And you understand it as long as there's a mathematical chance, especially this late in the season, right? It's not as if they're, you know, they're clinging on and it's 20 games to go. There's only four more games left. So if there's a mathematical chance, you understand why that's going to be the mentality. And... If you look on the Outer ten Scoreboard already, the Dallas Stars are leaving the door open just a sliver for the Canucks. They're already down 2-0 at home against the Seattle Kraken. And Dallas has just refused to really put its foot down and end this playoff race. So if you're looking for that just extra sliver of hope, could be developing tonight in Dallas if they can't find a way to get back in that game.
0: Well, Dallas may leave the door, the back door slightly ajar, but the Canucks have to get it done on the road Mm -hmm. in Calgary. Mm -hmm. And also, they need some help from the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, that's the problem. Because they have to also leapfrog Vegas. Now... If you're looking for another small silver lining, the goaltending situation in Vegas looks to be getting it's bizarre, <laughs> even worse. It was really bad. Now it's even worse. So the situation with Robin Leonard has been very chaotic the past 24 hours. Multiple reports that he's done for the season and will undergo surgery with the team uh, has said that he will potentially play on Sunday. So that is tomorrow because he's still dealing with his injury and, and will try to play through it. Elliot Friedman was just on Hockey Night in Canada and mentioned that. Leonard, to nobody's surprise, has been playing hurt, and that's why his game has suffered, and that's why he's not uh, taken a part in practice. But Vegas is still planning on playing him, which means you have a hurt Robin Leonard at best playing for you. So. If you're if you're trying to be the eternal optimist, the Dallas Stars as you mentioned currently losing at home against Seattle and the Vegas Golden Knights potentially stubbing their toe with their goaltending situation. Yeah,
1: and just to get everyone caught up on where the playoff race stands in the race for the second wild card spot in the Western Conference, Dallas has 91 points. Uh, Vegas 89, the Canucks 87, they've all played the same number of games. Of course, Dallas is playing Seattle right now and losing, so the Canucks are four points b- behind with four games to go. We'll see what happens with Dallas and Seattle tonight. Uh, Vegas doesn't play tonight, but they host San Jose Tomorrow, So uh, a chance for the Canucks to potentially gain a little bit of ground on Dallas, depending on how things shake out. But they would still have to leapfrog Vegas, who's two points up and holds the tiebreaker right now
0: uh, before they tr- start to track down Dallas. Well, that's the thing. So what you need to do is win out and hope that Vegas loses Stumbles. three point points. Yeah. So out of the four remaining games for Vegas, they can they have to lose at least three points. And that is if Vancouver wins out these final four games. So that is the situation when it comes to the playoff race, still very much a long shot, but as mentioned two teams in front of the Canucks, not exactly excelling no. at the right time. Uh, Vegas has won one game recently, but they've been on a bit of a bit of a swoon, but not too bad. But of course the Dallas stars three straight, potentially four if they keep and lose tonight. Uh, keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox, Six 650, 650. We'll interact with you coming up in a, in a few moments here. Now, As for the game itself against this Calgary Flames team, the way Vancouver has played most recently, Jamie, has been pretty good. Like, if we're just looking at, okay, how do they stack up game against the Calgary Flames? They outplayed the Minnesota Wild. Demko didn't have his best game. No. The Canucks maybe didn't finish some of the opportunities they had. But they played very well. Against Ottawa, they generated, but they gave up too much. But even before that, they've been playing some of their best hockey recently. So as much as the odds have the Canucks as a big underdog tonight in Calgary against the Flames, based on how they've played recently, I'm expecting this to be a a pretty good hockey game tonight. And it'll be interesting because one of the dynamics in the game
1: against the Minnesota Wild, was that the Wild still really, really needed that game in order to uh, secure try to secure home ice advantage in their first-round playoff series against St. Louis. Mm-hmm. You know, Calgary, they don't really have that same sense of stakes, right? Like, they're they're comfortably in first place in the really Pacific. They can't catch Colorado. Yeah, they can't catch Colorado. They've clinched first place in the Pacific Division. So these are just tune-up games for them at this point, right? And that doesn't mean they're going to go in and mail it in, right? Because this is still a division rival uh, for them playing against Vancouver. Obviously, you've still got guys like Tanev and Markstrom and Toffoli who want to get the win against their former team. But it's not the same sense of urgency for the Flames that the Minnesota Wild had on Thursday against the Canucks.
0: No, certainly not. They have been playing well, going 8-1-1 one one in their last 10 games. So maybe they feel, hey, a sense of accomplishment or a team that's still humming really yeah. well. So it's not going to be easy necessarily, but I do like the Canucks' chances as far as making this a good hockey game. And if you like to bet on underdogs, and we'll talk more about the betting lines for the game coming up a bit later, uh, that that might be a fun one tonight in Calgary against the Flames. And the big reason for it is Their best, most talented young forward has been phenomenal. Elias Patterson in the month of April in nine games has 16 points. He had two goals the other night in Minnesota, up to 31 now on the season and 65 points. Those numbers looking pretty gaudy compared to where they were earlier this year when he was struggling immensely, still not feeling right after a long offseason and and being injured and having uh, some injuries with his wrist prior to that. But the way he's played recently, you're talking about a guy that can put a team on his back. Essentially, as long as Thatcher Demko gets a, few, you know, makes the saves they need, you feel good about the Canucks finding a way to score two or three goals with the way Patterson's going. He,
1: he's having. Arguably, his best stretch of hockey in his NHL career. You know, maybe you can find. Uh, the, you want to point to those first ten games, right, when he broke onto the scene, or uh, a stretch in his second year when the lotto line was really cl- clicking. But I think you could look at not just the last, you know, nine games in April, but stretch it all the way back to when he really started breaking out. In January, in the middle of January or late January, I-, I could argue that this is the best stretch of hockey he's played in his career. And you just think about the fact that there's a very good chance he's going to lead this team in goal scoring, right? Mm-hmm. He had six goals in the middle of January, yeah. Sat. And the fact that he's going to surpass guys like Miller and Horvat, and I know Horvat's injured, otherwise it might be a different story, but really, he's going to finish as the leading goal scorer on this team in all likelihood. And that is a remarkable turnaround. And the consistency that he's shown in the last half of the season, almost 40 games now, you know, he has been the best player on the ice on a pretty regular basis in that stretch.
0: Yeah, he's been phenomenal. And, you know, his two-way game's also been really good during this entire span. And that's what makes it exciting. It's not just about scoring points. I mean, you're making an impact on both sides of the ice and both ends of the ice. And right now with him having to play center with Horvath out, which is his natural position in the NHL, I just see a different level that he's able to attain. And as long as you have him going and JT Miller being doing what he's doing... I mean, the Canucks have a chance. We'll get the Connor Garland a bit more in depth in the player spotlight, but he's a guy who's been playing a lot better. He's, you know, having a career season despite the fact that it's not at the level he wants. Forty-six points, a career high, the most assists he's had, you know, with twenty-nine, and he's been really good playing at even strength. But he's found some real chemistry playing with Elias Pettersson, especially with his playmaking ability. I know Dan's been really waxing poetic about <laughs> Connor Garland and how good of a playmaker and producer he is at even strength. But they've really found some chemistry that is undeniable at this stage. Oh, it absolutely is. And it's it's
1: been noticeable. Uh, Connor Garland is playing better. I, I think even when he was slumping, it was a little overstated how poorly he was playing. There was a, an element of just puck luck not going his way. But he's definitely playing better now. And the, it's the chemistry specifically with... Uh, Elias Petterson that really stands out and Pedersen's ability to kind of find those soft areas on the ice and Garland has the skill to to hit him in those spots and then when you're putting the puck on a player like Elias Petterson's stick in those dangerous areas good things are going to happen pretty often and we're seeing that recently with the the way these two are playing together
0: yeah and we'll go a bit deeper into Connor Garland's recent stretch coming up uh, a bit later here on the pregame show but continuing on Petterson and his line mates the other guy on that On that line has been Brock Besser, and a couple of games ago against Ottawa, I thought Pedersen kind of, you know, he didn't have his best game, but I thought Besser played really well, at least at even strength. I mean, at least uh, during regulation time, and overtime, it was a bit of a mess uh, for everybody, I thought, but the way he played in Minnesota was also, he had a strong game as well he's closing the season, I think, a bit determined and trying to make sure that you up your numbers as much as possible, but also finish the year and show this team what your higher end is. And it's good to see that Pedersen and Brock Besser are producing again, playing on the same line.
1: Well, and Brock just looks, he he looks quicker to me since coming back from his injury. And, you know, in in this smallest sample to end the season, I don't think you're not going to completely look at Besser's season in a different light just because of what he does in these final few games to end the year, but it can't hurt, right? And just for him personally to go into the season feeling like, okay, I really showed what I could do at the end there, gain a little bit of confidence going into next year. I think that's really important. The, the Brock Besser qualifying offer thing, and that that dilemma and how they navigate that is going to be really fascinating, but it can't be a bad thing for Brock to come and finish out the year strong and remind everyone of the kind of upside and the kind of talent he has, and I think he's doing that. He's He's kind of showing people who might have forgotten, hey, this is how I can impact the game when I'm really on my game.
0: Yeah, and... You're right. It's going to be really fascinating to see what they do this offseason. I do think, though, if he doesn't get dealt, that there is a pretty easy pathway to a short-term deal that they can figure out. I think there's a middle ground. As much as, yes, $7.5 million, and it's a big concern, so to speak, as far as the figure is, and just the leverage it gives the player, but at the same time, the team has a choice, too, and you can go to arbitration. And There's a lot of things to do, but it's messy overall. Yes. So, hey, why would you keep making a mess. So I think there is a way to cleanly figure that out. The biggest question comes down to what you choose to do with Brock Besser as an organization and what you want to do with Brock Besser if you are management. But the way he's playing with Elias Patterson and just them finding that chemistry again and, and maybe it doesn't matter because we saw Patterson produce when he got going, even with guys like, you know, on the third line, even in guys with Hoaglander who was struggling, all of a sudden was productive playing with Elias Pedersen. So when he's on his game, he can play with just about anybody and be su- successful. But the fact that the team was reluctant to put Besser and Patterson together a lot, especially under Boudreaux, and the fact they're doing that again, mm-hmm. especially if Boudreaux is back next season and Besser is back, then maybe this gives you an idea of, okay, Garland, Patterson, and Besser this might really be a line we can lean on next season.
1: Yeah, and to me, that's a more important development for Besser than it is for Pedersen. Because as you said, Pedersen, one of the really exciting things that he's shown in the second half this year is that he can get it done with just about anybody in any situation, right? On the wing, down the middle, no matter who he's playing with, he's going to find a way to get it done and get, and produce. And that that's very exciting. But for Brock Besser, I think to show, hey... I can actually be a really valuable compliment for Elias Patterson, and even though he's going to get it done no matter who he's with, I can maybe help boost him to another level, and I'm going to get my points in that situation. I think that's an important statement for him to make to the coaching staff and management as as they kind of try to figure out who's a long term piece, who can complement the foundational players, the you know the the guys who are on that kind of uh, do not trade list like Patterson and Hughes. If Besser can kind of stake his claim to being one of the better sidekicks for Pedersen, that could be really important for him.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely can. And I, I just look at Besser's game, too, and as long as he's moving his feet, he can be productive and he can be a good player. And the value here, here too, is, and it's funny because you look at Besser's season, if I would have asked you two years ago, who's going to be here for sure and get yes. paid the most money? Brock Besser or Bo Horvat? The answer probably would have been Brock Besser. Yes. Right now, you might be looking at a situation where if you want to keep Brock Besser, you can keep him at a number that's going to be team-friendly. And if he does bounce back and have a better year next season, that's a contract you can get surplus value from. It's a bit of a roll of a dice, but let's say you go three years with him and pay him just over $6 million per year or $6 million even. Mm-hmm and let's say he outproduces that contract, then for three years you have a player scoring 30-plus goals at a nice number.
1: And that's always why I have been much more inclined to kind of support the team keeping Brock Besser rather than exploring to trading him because... the, the fact of the qualifying offer makes it really difficult to get good value back for Brock Besser in a trade yes but as you said if you still believe in the player and you still see the upside and I think we're seeing those flashes again now and I believe he can have that upside over a full season still as you said if you go just a little bit of term yeah it's a risk but there's also a chance that you win that contract and it ends up looking like a really good deal next year and the mm-hmm. year after that and I, I still believe that Besser is the caliber of player who can be worth a $6 million AAV and really produce for you. And again, if if his trade value is going to be significantly dampened because of the qualifying offer, which I think it is, probably the best course of action then is to do what you're talking about. Try to get that kind of reasonable midterm deal. Uh, that could actually end up giving you surplus value in the end.
0: Yeah, and even if you want to explore moving him a year after that, then if he's playing better, then it gives you more value on a Absolutely better contract. Absolutely, it so It's one of those things that if you're looking to maximize the value of each player for you and just as, as an asset... What's the best course of action with Besser? And it's interesting. And, you know, Tyler mentions, if you aren't willing to move Brock, how does this team get better? The blue line is one of the worst and over and most overpaid. That's Tyler to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. And it all kind of comes down to number one, JT Miller. Yes. The two elephants here, one is JT Miller and the other one is Bo Horvat because they only have a year left in their contracts. So, and it's very clear, those two will, will be prioritized over anybody else. So until you figure out what that's going to look like, you don't know exactly what you're doing with a guy like Besser. Let's just say hypothetically you can't keep JT Miller and you move him and get assets back in return. Then you may want to hold on to Brock Besser potentially. Now, let's say you keep Horvat and you keep JT Miller. Then, of course, you may look at it and maybe it's Besser that moves. Maybe yeah. it's Garland that moves. That's you know where it comes down to. And ultimately, until you figure out JT Miller, that's the number one, one. That's that's the number one situation for me to watch. Until they figure out the future of J. T. Miller, you can't really do anything else as far as moving anybody big on your roster.
1: Well, you can't you can't commit to doing any of that because it, as you said it's really going to depend on what happens with Miller and I understand Tyler's point, right? Because you can go through all of the top six guys on this team and find reasons that you really want to keep them. Yeah. But if you do that, well then you're just committing to this team and you're going to be paying more for this team, right? Because Horvat, Miller, Besser are all getting raises and then how are you going to improve it? Yeah. So as much as you can like each individual player a lot, and there are totally valid reasons for wanting to keep all of them, you know, Tyler's right. Eventually you are going to have to move some guys if you want to get that flexibility that can help you improve the team.
0: I I mean, we can get into this a bit later too. And we have a lot of time over the course of the post game show (laughs) as well, and depending on how the game goes, but you know, we're having issues getting in touch with batch and Hershey. So we'll, we'll entertain this discussion a bit more here while we have some, what we have, while we have some time, but the reality of this team is and they've done a commendable job. They've done an incredible job bouncing back under Boudreaux. But they're capped out. And this is the team. You have room to bring everybody back next year. You don't have room for anything else, really. Some minor little things here and there you can do. But nothing significant. No, nothing significant. And the other thing is you don't have a ton of prospects coming. You have a couple, you know, and Rathbone, of course, put Colson's playing well for you and you know is going to excel. Klimovich ETA is to be determined. The other guys, I'm not sure anybody's really ready yet, even Jet Wu and those guys on the back end.
1: And a lot of those guys project more as down the lineup pieces, yeah. right? Not real
0: need- needle movers necessarily. Yeah. So there is going to have to be guys coming. So what, are you gonna, what you have to do is two things. One, you got to clear some cap space. And the other thing you have to do is get some long term assets as well that are able to supplement your roster in two years when all of a sudden you got to pay Pedersen more, you got to pay other guys more. And then you're capped out, but you're a good team and you're a cup contender potentially. You need cheap guys coming up then. So you have to set yourself up to have success, not only to get to that next tier and become a contender, but then be able to support being a contender. And that's going to take a few hard decisions this offseason. It's going to suck a little bit, but it won't be this massive step back. They'll still be competitive next year, I believe, even if they move one big player on the team. But you have to do something to give yourself some futures and flexibility and then take a step in a year's time and then have a few players that will fill in and help you. you got to build a five-year plan. And building a five-year plan means cap space and having some assets. But at the same time, you're not tearing it all the way down. You're trying to still be competitive next season. So it's gonna be a bit of a tight rope, but there has to be one hard decision made and one way to get some future long term assets. Defense, you need to, you got to reshape that. But as far as supplement your, supplementing your team and setting yourself up for long term success, that's what it will come down to this offseason.
1: And, and to your point about the team still being competitive next year, even if they make some of these hard decisions, look, I get it. You know, JT Miller, he's the team's leading scorer. He's been phenomenal this year. There's no question about it. He's an extremely, extremely impactful player. So yeah, if you do decide to trade him and you're getting mostly futures in return, that's a big hole to fill. But you also look at it. If you can get a full year of Elias Pettersson playing at something close to his level that he's played in the second half, that offsets a certain part of that, right? If you get a bounce back year from Brock Besser, that offsets a certain part of that. You still have Quinn Hughes. You still have Thatcher Dempko. And then if you open up that salary cap flexibility and you make, you know, two or three smart bets on low-cost guys, like even look at a Travis Dermott, right, who's come in and done a pretty good job on the third pair. If you find another, you know, two, three players like that not making a ton of money available for relatively cheap but have a little bit of upside – you know, all of a sudden, you could find yourself in a pretty similar position on that playoff bubble. And if things break, break right, you might even find a way to sneak in.
0: Yeah. And you're not going to be in a drastically different position than you are in now, especially if put Coles in takes a step next yeah. season as well. A good if point. He's able to do that. Then you might get some internal improvements to keep you at the same tier. And this is something we got into on Canucks Central on Friday. What tier are the Canucks in? They're not in the top Stanley Cup contender tier. That's like three or four teams, or two if you want. If you want to say just Tampa and, or whatever, and you know, Colorado, if you want to say something like that. But it's essentially four teams for me. Tampa, Florida, Carolina, and Colorado. And then you have other teams, about a group of five or six, that are that next tier of contender. The Blues are in that group. And you know the Calgary the Wild, Flames. The Wild, the Flames, Flames. The Flames. The, the Avin- Leafs. The Leafs. I mean, those are the teams that are slightly above where you are right now. And then the Canucks are in that next tier where Edmonton is, L.A. is, Dallas is. That's where the Canucks yeah. are. Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. In a good year, you're a playoff team. Like they should be this year if they didn't have a bad start. But that's kind of your ceiling. You want to get above that. And in order to do that, you have to give yourself some flexibility and make some you know, tough decisions and set yourself up for that. So you can't bring everyone back, but it's not going to be a case of everybody goes. But it all comes down to bringing it back for full circle. What do you do with Brock Besser? To me, it kind of comes down to what you do with J.T. Miller first. Because he's the guy. If you can't keep him, you've got to move him. You'll get a bunch of assets and you'll get flexibility. And then you may not need to go and do other things. You may be more ready to bring other guys back. And if the thing with JT Miller is
1: if you do find a way to extend him that makes sense for the team and he's willing to sign, then you're looking at Garland and Besser and you feel like almost one of them almost has to go at that point, right? If you're committing to both Miller and Horvat long-term, if that's something you decide to do, then it pretty much, if you're going to make moves and you're going to free up salary cap space, it pretty much falls on Garland and Besser. Now, I could see a world potentially where... Miller is traded, and one of Garland or Besser
0: is traded, right? I, yeah. I could
1: see that for sure. But if if Miller sticks around, then it feels like almost a certainty that one of those two will go.
0: Well, I mean, and that's the big thing. Uh, this text unsigned. I think everyone has bought into the radio pundit's view that the D is a disaster. Ninth best goals against. That's not all. Demko. Even Rutherford remarked he liked the D. Uh, Rutherford did say he didn't think the D is as bad as people make it out to be. And if anything, I mean, you know, I've been a proponent of this. D isn't as bad as people make it out to be. Even this earlier this year when. People People pointed at this team struggling, and as much as they said the D is bad, the, your stars were struggling. I mean, Pedersen wasn't producing, yeah. Bester wasn't scoring. I mean, when those, and Horvat wasn't producing earlier this year. When those things happen, that's why you struggled, not because your defense, who was fine earlier this year, they've been fine. They have been, they've been average. And with goaltending, they've been above average. Yeah, that, that's so, the thing
1: with the ninth best goals against average. A lot of that is Demko. Not is.
0: all of it. I mean, they're not. They're not to to the point of the texter. They're not the thirty first no, best defense, no. and they're getting ninth best because no. of goaltending. So they're better. They're average. The issue is, it's not efficient with the amount of money spent on it. So that's what has to kind of change, and I think the organization understands that. But to support that texter. I don't believe they're in a position that they're going to just trade Tyler Myers for the sake of cap space. That if they do, it's because they're bringing somebody else in. That they're going to be shifting it around. So I think that they see value in all of these guys to the dismay of other people. like There is value <laughs> in Myers. They see value. In, they, w- they don't just want to get rid of them for nothing. They want to get value in return if they move these guys. But at the same time, they are looking to improve if they can. They do want to add another puck-moving defenseman. Well, there's no question that the defense is still an area that needs improvement. Again, despite
1: the defensive results this year, as you said, it's kind of average at best, but to
0: take that jump up the standings, it needs to be a lot better of an average, and that's going to take some creativity. Yeah, it will take some time, and we'll figure that stuff out, but we'll talk about Travis Dermott and Quinn Hughes, like Johnny Mack mentions, Dermott's been looking really steady the past four, the past four or five games, even as a top four defenseman, perhaps. As Johnny Mac texting him, we'll discuss him and Quinn Hughes' play as the Canucks Central pregame show rolls on. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Canucks Central pregame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We're getting you set for Canucks and Calgary Flames puck drop coming up just after 7. And uh, we have behind the bench with Bruce Boudreaux coming up as well. So we'll get a discussion with Batch and the head coach coming up uh, in a few minutes' time. And when the players hit the ice for warm-ups, we'll tell you exactly whom is playing with whom And uh, if Tyler Myers is on the ice, which he is expected to be because he did not partake in the morning skate, but Boudreaux made it clear that he will play tonight. So we'll see him on the ice this evening. Uh, Yara Halak, well, different situation with him, Jamie. Today the coach mentioned that... Um, It doesn't look good. Mm -hmm. Not sure if he's going to play again this season. So we may have seen the last of Yaro Halak, depending on what happens the next few days.
1: Yeah. And tough break for Halak, who obviously did not have the season he wanted to have here, although he did rebound a lot from that really disastrous two game stretch in the middle of the season and was actually playing some pretty good hockey until he got injured against Ottawa and kind of a good news bad news situation depending on your perspective if you're Yaro Halak you're going to finish just short of getting that 905 yeah. save percentage bonus obviously that does, means it's not going to go on the Canucks cap next year but I do feel for the guy a little bit because if he, if he stays in that Ottawa game you never know he might have had a chance to get it
0: yeah no I mean it could have happened so it doesn't it doesn't look like it's going to work for him but at the same time for the Canucks will you save a bit of money on the bonus yes. if, if that happens so we'll see ultimately what goes on with him now uh We mentioned in the opening segment of the pregame show uh, the Canucks lot in life when it comes to the playoff chase. And if there was going to be a miracle of miracles, it would have to be the Dallas starts imploding and Vegas imploding with their goaltending situation. And for a moment you could at least entertain the discussion because the Kraken had a two, nothing lead on the stars in the first, but my, oh my, how things change.
1: Yeah. We were, we were here talking in the opening segment, sat no Dallas is leaving the door open. They've lost three in a row. They're slumping again. How, how are you down two nothing against Seattle at home? And, uh, I don't know. Rick Bonus must have given them a heck of a pep talk in the first intermission because they have scored three straight goals in the second <laughs> period in a, in a span yeah. of about five minutes uh, in the middle of the frame. And they now lead Seattle 3-2 with about six minutes left in the second. So Dallas has stormed back to
0: take the lead against the Kraken. Yeah. And if they win today, they get to 93 points. And the magic number for elimination is 96. The Canucks cannot get to 96. They right. max out a 95. So uh, when LA gets to 96, because they're at 94. And Nashville and Dallas, if they get to 90, 96, then it's done. You can't catch them because your max is 95. And if they win tonight, they get to 93. at 94 is getting pretty, pretty close to that elimination number. So we'll keep an eye on that stars and cracking game. And uh, Canucks fans still hoping, like Jeffro in on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650 says, let's get this done tonight. As long as we have a chance, I'll never give up hope. And tonight, well, they can't get eliminated, tonight that's right but if they lose their max is 93 and if dallas wins that's 93 so they're not going to be able to catch la if they lose tonight Yes, who's at ninety four? Right. So that means only the wild card remains open. So you're not eliminated because uh, the uh, regulation wins advantage against Dallas. You have the advantage. So yes, you'd still be alive technically. Technically,
1: so if Dallas wins in regulation tonight, yeah. let's say, let's just say hypothetically, Dallas wins in regulation, Canucks lose in regulation, you'd be six points back with three games to go. So you would need just to catch Dallas. You'd need to win out and you need them to get no points. No points. And then you'd also have to hope you catch Vegas. You yeah. you hop
0: over Vegas. Yeah. So th- the point being, tonight if you lose, you're not mathematically done, but, but it's, you're close it's to being very, mathematically very, very close. done. You're very, very close, close to being mathematically done. So, But like Jeff Rose says, he's not giving up hope, and we'll see if the Kraken can still come back uh, and, and take – Take care of business on the road in Dallas against the Stars. A lot of reaction coming in on our text inbox, 650-650. Um, and uh, we mentioned earlier, Johnny Mac sent in a text saying, Dermot has looked like a steady top-four defenseman in the past four or five games. And I, so when it comes to Travis Dermot. I'm not sold on him being a top four defenseman because overall how he thinks the game as a defenseman or at least how I perceive him to Mm -hmm. uh, think the game when I watch him play because I don't see those those instincts that I would view as a shutdown top four defenseman. But one thing he does have is really good skating ability and he's got a really good recovery and sometimes when you recover a lot it means you're out of position, you got to get <laughs> in but but he's able to close that gap now as he loses athleticism in a few years and some speed, then that's going to go away a little bit, but in the moment I can actually picture him working okay with Quinn Hughes in a top 4 role and if you kind of look at the deployment of the last couple of games here, Jamie two games ago, he played just about a couple of minutes at even strength with Quinn Hughes, last game he played almost 4 minutes at even strength with Quinn Hughes, and I did think it was interesting that it happened against teams that were pretty quick, and at times you saw Shen have a little bit of trouble. And I joked with with um, Riccio last week about how you can kind of platoon guys, maybe with Quinn Hughes right. next season. That okay, you can come back with Quentin with Luke Shen, but it's not going to be perfect at all times. But if Travis Dermott can step in and give and actually play well with Quinn Hughes. It's not your everyday pairing, but then you can piece it together and you can have a few games when Dermott does it. And the way he's played with Quinn recently, I actually like how those two guys have been able to play off one another. And Dermot's staying back and his recovery and his skating ability, it, it makes up to cover a lot of space. And when Quinn pushes forward, having a guy that can recover as well as he does in two-on-one opportunities or odd-man rushes, I actually like that, and I like the fact that he's able to take angles away. So, even though I don't think he's a long-term fixture, but as we speak for today, and perhaps the next two or three years, potentially, I think that's something to explore, to see if Dermot and Hughes can be more well. Fit.
1: And the other thing I like about Dermot with Hughes is that he has a lot more puck-moving ability than Luke Shen as well, in yeah. addition to the extra mobility and the extra skating, and look, obviously, always, when Quinn Hughes is on the ice he's going to be the primary guy you want keying the breakout pushing the puck up the ice from the blue line but it still helps to have somebody who doesn't completely take those skills off the table not that Luke Shen does completely but you know what I mean he's out there yeah. primarily to be a steady defensive physical presence but just having someone who kind of raises the floor of the puck moving ability a little bit I think is very effective and with Dermott look if you're if you have Travis Dermott as a staple in your top four you're probably not a contending team, right? Yeah. Like that—that's we can all agree on that. But I think he's shown enough to be a very, very credible bottom pairing, like number five guy who, in the right situation, can move up and play games. If if he if if there's an injury, right, and you have to elevate him to your top four, that's not a crisis, no. right? He he's not a a bona fide top four defenseman, but. As a number five guy who can move up the lineup in certain situations, he does that job more than enough.
0: Well, and you know, having a guy who's a good number five can he be a good number five? In a five, I think
1: he can be a good a good number five, like a solid, really good number five. And
0: a good number five is a guy that can move up into your top four exactly. when need be and play those minutes just fine. And you know, it's, again, it's not maybe solving one of your core you know, spots, but it's an important spot. And if you're able to solve that, well, adds to your defense and adds to having some different options here if you are uh, Bruce Boudreaux next year, too, with that deep... Because I think you should bring Shen back at this stage. And having Dermot and Shen together... Again, long term, I think you still got to figure something out for for Quinn Hughes. But if you can kick that can down the road a few years, because you have Shen for at least for one more, you have Dermot for control for a couple more years, and if and if that's going to work for you, then you know at least one of your top one pairing in your top four is figured out. You know how much of a piece of how, how much peace of mind that gives you too. So again, it's not a massive one, but it can mean big things for the team if it works.
1: And to get back to the conversation about potentially taking a step back, or can this team? make some big decisions, but still be competitive. You know, if you are moving higher end guys near the top of the roster out, one of the ways to offset that is by making sure you're raising the floor everywhere mm-hmm. else, right? Making sure your, your bottom six and your third pairing aren't killing you when you're out there. And Dermot. He he's a big improvement over some of the guys in recent years that the Canucks have had on that third pairing. It's not a panic situation when he's at on the ice, right? He might be, you know, quote-unquote, just a third-pairing defenseman, but he's a very good one. And if you can find those guys towards the bottom of the roster that are just very credible, competent in their roles and aren't absolutely killing you when they're on the ice, that can help to offset potentially losing some talent farther up the roster.
0: Well, I mean, we, we it's a small upgrade, and it, and it but it has been... S- at least helpful and somewhat noticeable here for vancouver at the trade deadline the canucks actually got better not not significantly better but slightly better because the upgrade from hammock to Dermott was greater than the downgrade from mott to richardson right again you miss mott but the upgrade of that player on that player was slightly so overall in totality it actually made your team slightly better you'd be even better if you had Mott and you added Dermot of course because you'd have his speed but the point being the team didn't get worse by trading Mott because they actually upgraded on Hamannik. And that's a slight little improvement. But to your point, if you improve slightly like that exactly. across your roster, then even if you lose a top end guy, but you can supplement like for instance, yeah, you lose. Let's say you lose JT Miller. Well, it's hard to play replace. You know, ninety points next season. But what if you put a guy with Peterson who's usually a thirty point guy, and he scores fifty for you, right? And then you got somebody else who scores a little bit more for you. You're not better as a team, but you're maybe not. Much worse. And with some guys improving, like you mentioned, maybe you still get into the playoffs and you're still kind of in the same tier as a team. Well,
1: and even look at the minutes that, you know, Brad Hunt and Kyle Burrows have played for this team. And full respect to those guys, you know, local products, all of that. They've done a really good job. But again, if you can find someone on that third pairing who's a cut above those guys, right? And they go back to being your seventh or eighth defenseman, that raises the floor a little bit. And then all of a sudden you have a third pairing of Travis Dermott and somebody of a similar caliber. Well, that's a lot better than a lot of the third pairings that have gotten minutes for you this season. And again, you know, upgrading your third pair is never going to be a substitute for losing a superstar like JT Miller, if that's the route you go. But if you make enough of those little incremental improvements all around the roster, and maybe you do take some bets that pay off even more than that, you can find a way to still be competitive and in the playoff race.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as far as Travis Dermott is uh, concerned, has been playing a lot better recently. And him and Quinn Hughes, watch out to see if they play some more as a duo tonight, despite the fact that Shen and Hughes will, can, will start the game as a D pair this evening as the Canucks visit the Calgary Flames. We'll continue the discussion. We'll get into uh, more of your text messages as well on our text inbox 650-650. We'll do the player spotlight on Connor Garland and we'll hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux as the Canucks Central pregame show rolls on on the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650.
1: Welcome back to the Canucks pre-game show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Time now for Behind the Bench. Here's Brendan Batchelor.
2: It's the Vancouver Canucks of the Calgary Flames tonight from Alberta, and it's time to go behind the bench with Bruce Boudreaux. And Bruce, before we get into the game tonight, wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of legends that we've lost recently in the hockey world in Mike Bossy and Guy LaFleur as a couple of guys that you would have played against back in your playing days.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that we're losing. Uh, it seems like this year we've lost a lot of uh, people in in our business, and and these two probably are well, obviously the two best that uh, we've lost. Everybody's important, but like I played against both of them, and both I was in awe every time I played against them. And uh, uh, with Lafleur, you could just see the. Uh, like the hair flowing, this is my memory of, of him just whizzing by me. I wasn't a great skater, but, I mean, he uh, would whiz by, and every time he touched the puck in the forum, uh, the crowd would go crazy. Uh, uh, Mike he was just a, a special player that you think you could get him. You'd look at him and say, he's not that special, and the next thing you know, the puck's in the net. Two of the greatest players uh, this league is known, and it's uh, we'll miss them for sure.
2: Absolutely and as we turn the focus back to your team wanted to ask about Brad Richardson he breaks his nose last game comes back he's chipped in with a couple of goals since he arrived at the trade deadline 37 years of age now what has he brought to this group in his short time with the Canucks so far?
3: Well I mean I think he's been a great uh, uh, contributor in ways that people don't see uh, on the ice sometimes I mean yes he's scored yes he's uh, done a great job penalty killing, he'll block shots, he'll do all of that, but he's a true professional off the ice, and all the young players uh, are learning that here's a 37-year-old guy that just comes to work every day, never complains, does his job, and it. You know, if I was looking at that, I'd be going, man, I want to be like that, and that's the way pros last till the, for 17 years, so um, uh, off the ice and on the ice, he's brought an awful lot to this team and organization, and and we we're glad to get him. He plays anywhere you want to play him. He's never, I said, left wing, center. It doesn't matter to him. He'll play. He'll contribute in any way he can.
2: Finally, you face the Flames tonight. You've seen them three times since you arrived. You had a close overtime game against them, a big win, and then they beat you in your last meeting. What have you taken away from the games that these two teams have played thus
3: far? Well, they're very good. <laughs> um, they're fast. They don't have any weaknesses. They got six defensemen that can play. They got four forward lines that they can throw out. And they got uh, a couple of really good goalies. So, I mean, you have to play a perfect game uh, against these guys. I mean, you have to be ready from the drop of the first puck because, I mean, uh, their, their best period is their first period. They like to, to break you. And then when you're down, they just keep pouring it on. So um, if we don't play 60 minutes, we're in trouble tonight. Bruce, thanks for this. Good luck tonight. All right. Thank you.
0: That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux behind the bench with Boudreaux and Brendan Batchelor. As we get you set for Canucks and Calgary Flames puck draw coming up just after 7 with Batch and Hershey here on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network, Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. And, you know, it's interesting talking about this Calgary Flames team, and we discussed it earlier. They're a really good hockey team, but the Canucks have been able to play them pretty tough. And considering the role the Canucks have been on as far as their even strength play, if they show up and play hard and, you know, they're focused tonight, it's going to be an entertaining hockey game, I think. Well, and they've
1: shown that even against teams at the top of the Western Conference, right, like St. Louis, Minnesota, Colorado, when they're on their game, they can hang with those teams, right, in in certain situations. And obviously the consistency and the that extra top-level gear isn't necessarily there for the Canucks, but in particular against a team like Calgary. And I know Boudreau said, you know, they're fast, they're big, but I think of them more as that kind of classic Daryl Sutter heavy team. And this year, the Canucks have done pretty well against the bigger, heavier teams in the NHL. So it's not a terrible matchup for them, but I did also have to chuckle when Boudreau said, yeah, they don't really have any weaknesses. (laughs) And he's kind of right. I mean, they've got arguably the best line in the league this year, or one of the best lines in their top line with Goudreau, Kachuk, and Lindholm. You know, Markstrom, we all know what he's Mm -hmm. capable of. The defense is deep. They're they're a really well-balanced, tough, well-coached team. So it, it's a hard matchup for anyone. But you're right. The Canucks have shown that it, it's not a write-off when they go up against the Calgary Flames.
0: No, and if you're able to keep that game close, and if the Canucks can play down low and do what they want to do with the way Boudreau has them playing, then there is... I mean, so, I mean, Boudreau, I'll take it at face value, but at the same time, he's not going to you know expose any weaknesses. The one weakness they do have, believe it or not... Is defending in their own zone for good. Good Branson, Zadorov, and even Shillington. So half their blue line. If you get them, if you start working them, they're eventually going to give you something. So if you're able to keep this game close and able to play your game at times and get that puck deep and start the cycle and work it down low, you will be able to create some opportunities. So they're a really good hockey team, but that's the one weakness they do have.
1: And the, the trick there, of course, is going to be making sure you don't get hemmed in in your own yes. zone, right? Because then you're not going to have the opportunity to really set up and get those heavy, lengthy shifts in the in Calgary zone that, as you said, can give them problems. So that's the real key, is, is getting it out, clean breakouts, which we know when the Canucks are not not at the top of their game, that can be a problem. Moving it cleanly out of their own zone,
0: and to some degree, you kind of have to survive the first part because, like Boudreau mentioned, they're really good first. Beer. They, right? They start. They're. I mean, you talk about it. You know, the Canucks. You talk about they're not ready to play. No. Calgary's Calgary is very seldom not ready to play. You know, and they're a team that's ready to go and they're prepared. So sometimes it's kind of you know, taking on that early onslaught. But as long as the Canucks also play with pace, they're not a fast team, but what we've seen them do against good forechecking teams too and fast hockey teams is when they work hard and take away their time and space just by being on top of them and using their smarts and using their, you know, just their effort, they're able to take away some of the speed and take away some of the transition games of other teams. We saw it at times against Minnesota. We even saw it against Colorado. So you're capable of doing so against Calgary, but that comes down to all out effort. I've said it a hundred times recently, but if the Canucks come out and play hard tonight, they'll have a chance to win this hockey game. Well,
1: and I'm wondering also if, yeah, as you said, you know, Goodbranson Branson and Zdorov, when they have to defend in their own zone, but also just if if the, in particular, the Lamico, Highmore, and Lockwood line, they might be able to do some damage on the four-check against those guys as well, who yeah. don't have the mobility or the puck-moving uh, skill that the other defensemen for Calgary do have. And I, I think when the Canucks are on that forecheck especially from that line, is so important because all of a sudden then you have an extra line that can do some damage, that can spend time in the other team's zone, but you, they need to, as you said, really give, up, give that effort, use that speed to cause Calgary's D men troubles there. When,
0: well, as far as the lineup for the Canucks tonight against the Calgary Flames, as tweeted by Brendan Batchelor from warmups in Calgary, Garland with Miller and Chase on, put Colton with Pedersen and Besser, Dickinson with Lamico and Highmore, Dries with Richardson and Lockwood, OEL, Myers, Hughes, Shen, Hunt, Durman. And of course, Demco between the pipes. So, a bit of a change in the top six. We see Put Colson with Pedersen and Besser and Garland with Miller and Chase on. And that brings us to the player spotlight brought to you by Supersoil. Want to have your garden in the spotlight this spring? Then make sure you head to Supersoil, BC's largest supplier of soils, mulch, and gravel. Visit supersoil.ca. And the player spotlight is on Connor Garland, who has been red hot recently, 11 points in his last 10 games, three goals, eight assists, and he's playing 17 minutes and 25 seconds per game. And all those points are coming at even strength. Mm -hmm. So the last 10 games, he's been red hot. And also what he's showing is when you give him more ice time at even strength, he is more productive because as you've been mentioning as well for quite some time, Jamie, at even strength. Garland's had the best production on the team by scoring rates.
1: On a per-minute basis, he's been right there with JT Miller. Uh, Points per 60 at even strength. And so the whole kind of idea that he's been really struggling, a lot of that just comes down to, one, as I said, there was a downturn with Puck Luck in the middle of the season, but also just the fact that he doesn't play on power play one, and he doesn't necessarily get a ton of five-on-five ice time either. So it's no surprise that as his minutes have gone up and he's gotten a chance to play with Elias Pettersson, that you're seeing those points start to come for Connor Garland He's been a very dependable, productive five-on-five player for pretty much the whole
0: season. No, he really has been. And now that he's playing a bit more... But he's also, I mean, now that he's playing a bit more, and he's playing well. He's playing better, too. He's playing better, yes. And now that he's playing a bit more, and he's playing well, he's productive. Because if you go back to the first 10 games of the season, he's playing about the same amount of minutes. Yes. And he was productive. And that's when he was really racking points up. He was. So it's one of those things where you give him ice time, he will score. But to your point, he is playing better. Because for that stretch when he was struggling in the 19 games without a goal, he was playing on the outside too much. And not only himself, he wasn't getting the puck to the inside enough. that's changed dramatically. Well, and... I think it's pretty clear his confidence took a hit there too. Yeah. I mean, you remember when we interviewed him, right? And he said, "Oh yeah, my my season's been
1: garbage since day one." Yeah. yeah he was <laughs> really hard on himself. Or obviously was not. He was really undispleased with how he was playing and that's that's always going to affect you a little bit. It's so hard not to let that affect how what you go out there and do, but he's back to playing very close to what he was doing at the beginning of the year, or even better at this point yeah. with Elias Petterson.
0: No, he's been playing really well and with Pettersson, but tonight he is playing with JT Miller. Now, we mentioned the Canucks are big underdogs in this game, and they really are. On the money line... They're at 2.75 versus Calgary, who's a favorite at 1.46 on home ice. So when it comes to, if you think the Canucks can win tonight's game, there is a little bit of value in making that wager. Now, as far as some of the prop bets are concerned, Marcus and Gibson's uh, text text into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Um, and he says, take Petey as a first goal scorer tonight at 12-1. to There's a lot of juice there. That's Marcus and Gibson's. And the way peterson has been red hot, he very well could score uh, the first goal in this game. I don't think there's... It, it, when
1: Pedersen's playing like this, I have a hard time arguing with the idea of betting on him. He, he's playing really well.
0: Well, and also, as far as Pedersen is concerned in general, like he's been, he's been a good guy to bet on. Even on any time goals, he's at 2.87 tonight. So even on any time, there's I like some value that. in making that wager as well. And that is play now, sports your local BC sports book. We'll get to the game coming up just after 7. It is Batch and Hershey with the call. Canucks in Calgary against the Flames. Satyar Shah, Jamie Dodd. We'll be back during intermissions and the post-game show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.